and consider what might be possible, what could be that has not yet come, what God might be yearning to do that we have not even yet begun to For while many of us have been around Jesus for a while, maybe a long while, we might remember that we have to be disciples of Christ is to be forever practicing our faith, forever growing in love, and forever surprised by the works of God within us. And so we're going to be exploring stories of the Gospel of Mark, encounters with Jesus, and someone comes and finds themselves in the presence of Christ and transformed in a marvelous way. And then we're going to ask that two-word, simple question, what if? What if we could find ourselves in that story? What if that could be us all over again? Friends, let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So a little while ago, for a two-week span, I carried a business card in my pocket with a handwritten question on the back. Here's the card, here's the question. It says, do you want to be made well? Jesus. It was part of an exercise for a small group of clergy that I've been participating with each month. And each time that we gather, we begin with a spiritual practice. And so sometimes it has been to reflect and respond to some sort of insightful question, which I do my best to do. Other times we've been invited to close our eyes and find a posture of quiet prayer, which I also do my best to do. But we meet over Zoom, and so it feels kind of silly to close my eyes and sit in front of a screen silently in the room. But I do my best. And then this last time, we got an email two weeks before our meeting from the group leader who invited us to choose a question that Jesus has asked somewhere in the Gospels. They helpfully provided a list. And to take that question and write it down on something we could keep in a pocket. And we were to sit with that question at every opportunity we encountered it there in our pocket each day. And so I was in my office at the time, and the only thing I could come up with to write on was one of my own business cards. And so with a ballpoint pen, I quickly scrawled, do you want to be made well, on the back side. And I kept my business card with my own contact information in my pocket at all times for two weeks, as though my mother were watching out for me and was worried that I might forget who I was, where I worked, or how to get in contact with myself anytime I left the house. And it was a learning experience. I learned that I'm in my pockets an awful lot, all the time, some two dozen times every day. See, at first I kept this card with this question in my left pocket with my phone. But I'm forever in and out of that pocket on my phone because I'm always being affected by that soft chime of notification that promises far more exciting things than the email it inevitably turns out to be. And I grew tired of looking at the question quite so frequently, so I put it in my right pocket with my keys. But every time I tried to get into my office or my house or start the car, I could forget that that card was in there and managed to drop both it and my keys on the ground in surprise every time. Now, incredibly, for two weeks, I never got this card into the wash. It stayed in my pocket, which meant that I asked a thousand times, do you want to be made well? And a thousand times over, I would think to myself, I didn't even know I was sick. I didn't. I didn't know I was sick, but the more this question plagued me every waking moment of my life for two weeks, the more I wondered if it might have a point. I live a 
relatively stable life, comfortable and familiarity and consistency is generally predictable from one day to the next. In just about every way I can think to measure, I am doing just fine. A status quo, which is plenty good enough until somebody has the audacity to walk into my life and ask whether I'd like to be better. Thank you, What if God might have more in This morning's scripture captures that contrast. The honest hopes before against the obstacles that get in the way, particularly the stubborn magnetism of the familiar the scene opens with Jesus in Capernaum, his adult hometown, at the very start of his ministry. It's Mark chapter 2. He's hardly begun. He's been active for just a short while, but it's long enough that the news of his healing work and his powerful teaching has spread quickly and has drawn a crowd. The crowd has filled this house where Jesus is, so complete in scriptures that there wasn't even a space to step through the doorway. And this would have been problematic for any latecomers. But particularly for the five that do arrive, four people carrying their paralyzed friends. We know next to nothing about this crowd of five. They arrive nameless and without clarification. We don't know if the paralyzed man begged his friends to bring him or if they insisted on bringing him against his better judgment. We don't know if they're local or if they're late because they had to travel so far to get there. We don't even know what they're expecting to happen, though we might assume that they're hoping for a healing, but they never said. The only thing we know is that they want to get to Jesus. And perhaps that's enough. There's something about being close to Christ. There is a healing to be found in the presence of the Messiah, even if we can rarely guess exactly how it's going to happen. Claiming assurance of exactly how and when Jesus will work to promise that someone need only say this or do this or show up there in order to be healed, well, that's a surefire way to receive a lesson in humility. There is a wisdom in the simple confidence of our five friends that all they need to do is to get close to Jesus and he take care of them. And so that's what they try to do, but getting close to Jesus is not an easy task. The house is packed, so the friends take to the roof. It was probably a thatched or a mud roof that they start to claw their way through, and I sometimes wonder about the property damage that is incurred. Who is going to repair the now person-sized hole in the roof? What happened to the people underneath the roof as dust and debris started to fall on their heads? Where was the owner of the house, and was he upset when he saw what was happening to his roof. I have lots of questions. But I suppose that getting to Jesus makes a mess more often than not. And that it's worth it every time. These four friends make a hole in the roof and then they lower their friend to the ground as the crowd, no doubt, scrambles out of the way. And Jesus looks, sees their faith evident in their determination to get to him. And he says to the man lying on the mat, child, your sins are forgiven. Then we see that the roof is not the only barrier to the healing work of Jesus. As the legal experts begin muttering among themselves in the crowd, why is he speaking this way? Only the one God can forgive sins. It takes a little bit of work to figure out what the legal experts are upset about, because in this moment, their indication 
does not make Jesus. Jesus didn't claim to forgive the man's sins. But we know that. Instead, Jesus has simply declared that the man's sins were forgiven, leaving open for interpretation who it was that was actually doing the forgiving. And who else would it be but God? There's nothing new or novel about having someone's sins declared forgiven by God. And in fact, priests have been doing exactly that for thousands of years before Jesus began his ministry. Legal experts are upset simply because Jesus is circumventing this convention about who can declare forgiveness and is circumventing particularly the convention around who is claimed within a community. The paralyzed man, as would be the case in perhaps every era throughout history, would have experienced significant isolation and stigma from those around him. Jesus' proclamation of forgiveness was as much a general ball to his spirit as it was a directive to keep against his exclusion. The legal experts thought they knew the conditions under which a person could receive mercy from God, and they were comfortable with the system as it was. You can almost translate their murmurs into the familiar language of the church in ways that I have said myself. Well, that's not the way we do things around here. We've always done things that way, why are you trying to change it now? Jesus. And Jesus responds to the legal experts with an impossible way about whether it's easier to forgive than to heal. And before they can even respond, he has the formerly paralyzed man stand up, take his neck, and go home. And everyone was amazed and praised God, the scripture says, saying, We've never seen anything like this. And they have. Because this was a stretch past. The familiar, a step away from the comfort of what has always been into the healing place that Jesus is always leading us into. This is where the people of God and the church of every age is called, step by step and day by day. We've been at it for a long time ourselves, and the saints of this church, the saints of Manchester United Methodist Church, have worked hard and long to create the space that we now rest in today. To ensure that there was space for us in the house, a way in, and a welcome at the feet of Jesus. We have long been this way. I'd like to invite us all to take a moment now to think about how we got to where we are today. Who were the friends, whether four of them, two or more, that welcomed us here in the presence of Christ? How did they do it? Was it a phone call? An invitation? Was it a follow-up conversation after the service? Was it a prayer request? Was it a friendship that grew out of a church relationship sitting side by side in the pews? Or did it go the other way? A friendship that eventually led to sharing the pew? Was there a friend or two or three or four? that did this all-important work of turning you and me and us into this place. It is holy work. It's important and sacred work to be the friend of a person, to invite them into the presence. 
presence of God, to say, all we need to do is show up at the feet of Christ and see what will happen. We have reaped the benefits of exactly that, of finding a church where a place has been made for us. We are a church in the Methodist tradition, in the Wesleyan tradition, and one of the elements of that is the idea that we are always moving on to perfection. That we show up at the feet of Christ and the work begins, but it isn't done in a moment, it isn't done in a day, it isn't done in a year. It continues on and on as we continue further and further into the works of holiness and righteousness, of love and mercy. And so we who have received are called further on to be friends ourselves or others. To ask, how is it we can carry someone else with us? What does it look like to tear the roof off of this place? Are there barriers that keep people from being there in the presence of Christ? If they show up where we say Christ is, can they hear the words we spoke? Do they have the words so that they can follow along? Can they see what's going on? Can they get there, even if they aren't as mobile as the rest of us? Could a paralyzed man make it into the places where Christ is, where we have kept? Is there work to be done in the moment? Are we so familiar and comfortable with the way things are that it hurts just a bit to hear the question? What if there was something more? What else could God be calling us There is an invitation in this text to follow in this long tradition of making space. And thankfully, right there in the text as well, is the reminder that it is not a work to be done alone. The paralyzed man wasn't brought by one friend, but by four. The five of them needed each other. And so we come together in this time and always as people of God and the people of the church to see how much further we can go, where God might be calling us to do this holy work, welcoming more of God's beloved children and love. For Jesus is here, and that's the work that is being and let us now to continue in worship with our text, which is freely, freely.